the last few weeks we've been talking about the anointing, and I want to continue that. And again, the word anoint means to um, smear with oil, and it means to pour oil on, and it means to press oil in. And uh, quite frankly, it just means, again, it, it, the oil in the Bible, it represents the presence and the power of God. And we need the presence and the power of God in our lives and in our church. Um, we, 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 need, um, we need to be aware of it. Like, I think there are moments in worship um, where we become very well aware of his presence. It's like, oh, wow, God's here. And there's moments in services we become very well aware. But, but what if we could live our lives in such a way that we're aware of it all the time? Whether I'm at the grocery store or you're at your work or your kids are at school, wherever you're aware of the presence of God, because it's the presence of God, the anointing of God, which transforms lives. And we know this, there's nothing that any of us have that can transform someone's life. Like, I can't talk you into living a good life, okay? I can't. I cannot talk you, because if I can talk you into it, you can be talked out of it. Okay. So if you can be talked out of it, then, then what, let me rephrase it like this. If someone can be talked out of it, then what do we need to do so that when they make that decision, it sticks? They, they need to have an encounter with God. They need to have an Isaiah 6 type of encounter, right? Where it's Isaiah in chapter 6, he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and exalted, and a train of his robe was filling the temple, right? And he goes on and he says, around the throne there were, there were angels with six wings, and, and with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, right? And then they were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Isaiah ends up going like, woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man unclean. <laughs> or I am a man with unclean lips, and so are all my kind, because my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. And so we can live our lives with such an awareness of the presence of God um, in and around us that I believe that it actually influences other people. Amen. All right. So the presence of God, the anointing of God, uh, without it, again, we're toast. We'd be like any other organization out there that does nonprofit work, they meet people's needs, but then people end up falling into the same things again. And, and, and we believe that we can usher in transformation. Like, I don't, like, we want to help the poor and the homeless. We want to feed people, but I don't want to just feed their bellies. I actually want to feed their soul and their spirit to where they change forever, right? That's what we want. We're not interested in just having good church services. We're interested in transforming a community. That's Genesis 1.28, by the way, which is be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and take dominion of it. That is, that is literally bringing transformation, expanding the boundaries of the garden so that God's glory is demonstrated. Now, the one verse we've ran with the last few weeks is Isaiah 10.27 which says, so it'll be in that day that his burden, weight or load or burden of tyranny, will be removed, which means to depart, to turn aside, come to an end from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken or destroyed because of the anointing. So again, the presence of God, I've got something going on here, the presence of God 
The anointing of God is what we desperately need to change people's lives. Now, I believe that when we become aware of it, it turns us into the most hopeful people on the planet. <coughs> like, ridiculously hopeful. Like, like, people will think you're weird that you're hopeful, okay? Like, they, they, they should. They should. Sometimes you're around people and you, you, you speak hope and joy and love and peace and people look at you, right? Like you have something weird on your face, right? Or, or it's, like, it's like when April looks at me occasionally weird, it's because I have food in my beard, right? And she's like... But sometimes when we're really hopeful, people will wonder what in the world is wrong with us. And we have the opportunity to say, well, actually, let me tell you what in the world is right with us. And it's because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the anointing, I actually believe, that it allows us to become aware of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is, is what we believe wholeheartedly in. And yes, he is a God. There, there, is, there is a need to repent and turn from sins. There, there is a need not to live a sinful life. We understand that. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And if we don't come into repentance and surrender life to him, we will be in hell. We understand all of that. But we are not interested in scaring. You hear me say it all the time. We're not interested in scaring the hell out of people. We want to love the hell out of them and demonstrate the goodness of God is what they absolutely need. Because Paul says in Romans, it's the kindness of God that leads men into repentance. So I want to talk about becoming more aware. The anointing actually allows us to become more aware of the goodness of God. The anointing, I think it's this. The more time we spend with Jesus... The more aware we are of his goodness, and then we start to see his goodness, and then we're aware that there's more goodness. I, I don't, I mean, it's just like that. It's, it's April life says this all the time, and, and has stolen my saying, but if you want to find something to be negative and pessimistic about, you, you can find it pretty easily, right? It's like, I want to find, I'm going to go into this situation, and I'm going to find something to be angry about. You're going to find something to be angry about 100% of the time. But if, we are sanctified, set free, we've given our life to him, then we become more aware of his goodness. And I think if you want to look for something good, you can't find something good. And that's what changes situations. So look at Psalm 27, Psalm 27, 13. I'm, I'm going to Psalm 27, 13, and then I'll hit Romans 8 here in a few minutes. Psalm 27, 13. What a verse, by the way. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would have, <laughs> that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One more time. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So amazing. Amen. This in the Hebrew, this verse is actually an incomplete sentence, and uh, which is really interesting. The phrase "would have despaired." Uh, it, it was actually two sentences, but anyway, it, it means that I would have. Let me define this the most simplistic way. I would have become completely depressed, and I would have become completely hopeless, and I would have been someone that's always just spoke about the negative things in life, 
and always pointed out the negative things in life and was always hopeful or hopeless and, and always a grump <laughs> unless I had believed, unless I had decided to be firm, to endure, to be faithful, to be true, to stand fast, to trust, to actually have to build up to support, to do what? The idea that I would see with my own eyes, which see, it means see, it means to observe, perceive, means to get acquainted with, not just see, but to actually get acquainted with, to gain understanding, to examine, to look after, to choose, to discover the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I would have become depressed unless I decided to stand firm that, you know what, I'm going to stand firm and believe that I'm going to see Observe the goodness of the Lord. Goodness actually means this. Let me read this too. Goodness means something that is good, something that is attractive, something that is pleasant to look at, something that has beneficial qualities. It actually means prosperity. It means the condition of the state of having an abundance, which is right, really kind of ties in the John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come and they have life and have it abundantly. So he's saying this, that I would have been depressed, but I chose to stand firm, to trust, and to believe, and to be unwavering from this position. He's saying that, the psalmist is basically saying that, that I'm going to believe no matter what, you can't talk me out of it, that I will observe with my own eyes the goodness of God. The goodness, again, it's this, I'm going to observe something so beautiful, so majestic, so real, something so abundantly, intrinsically good, and not only, it won't be just when I go to heaven, it's going to be in the land of the living, which means in the land of the living where we are right now. And I think that the anointing allows us to make that decision. I think the presence of God allows us to make that decision that no matter what happens in life, I'm still going to see the goodness of the Lord. And that I'm going to, because I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord, I'm not going to let the enemy eat my lunch and steal everything from me. I'm actually going to be hopeful. And this is something, I'll be honest, but this is, this is hard to do. <laughs> and I'm preaching something that, that the Lord is teaching me. Because, and, and I feel like I'm a hope-filled person, but there are days when I just... <laughs> And I'm just like throwing myself a pity party, and I'm, I'm angry, I'm agitated. And when I get agitated, April, like I'm a bear to be around. And this verse says that I would have despaired unless hmm, I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. It takes no faith not to see the goodness of the Lord. It takes no faith to point out the bad. Everything's falling apart, right? Or everything's this. It takes no faith. It takes faith to say, I'm going to see goodness. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to recognize it. I'm going to call it out. All right. So you have this anointing that allows us to see the goodness of God no matter what circumstances. Because he's the same today, yesterday, and today, and forever, no matter what. Now look at, look at Psalm 89 real quick. I, I should have said that too. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is written by... It's not David, it's by a guy named Ethan, by the way. <laughs> Only Psalm that Ethan wrote. <laughs> that is a good one, yes. That is cool. It's an amazing psalm, by the way. It's a long psalm, but it's an amazing one. 
Psalm 89, it starts out, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. I'll make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build you up or build up your throne to all generations. And then say law, pause in the presence of the Lord. So Ethan is a person that has seen God work over time. He would not be able to say, I will sing of your love and kindness of the Lord forever to all generations. I'll make known your faithfulness from my mouth for I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. This is a man that has seen the goodness of God over the course of a lifetime. And when we start thinking about it this week, again, I was going through some stuff and I started writing out good things that God has done over the last five years. I just wanted to go to the last five years. And he did this. He took care of my family in this situation. He healed my boy when he was sick. He did this. He did this. He did this. And you end up building up a history of what God has done. And, and so Ethan is literally proclaiming the goodness of God and talking about the goodness of God, whatever he, you know, when he's in this situation. Bless you, brother. Come on in. This is a person who knows that he is good and he knows that the Lord is faithful as well. He says, your faithfulness, I will declare it forever, right? And he says, in the heavens, you establish your faithfulness forever, which means without end. I looked it up. <laughs> it means that, that, that from the beginning of time to right now and forever, he will be faithful. And Ethan, in this, he's actually proclaiming this as he's writing this song. It's like, I've been through the ringer, man, but I'm going to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because I have a decision whether to just let the enemy eat my lunch or proclaim his goodness. And I want to choose to be hopeful in all situations. Romans 5 says that, that well, Romans 5 talks about that the greatest thing is hope. All right. So look at Romans chapter 8. This is a man, by the way, I'm going to tie these next two verses together. Psalm 89, <laughs> literally, is a man praising God for the persevering presence of God. And we sing about it, by the way. We didn't sing it today, but we sing Reckless Love of God, which is really about the persevering, relentless presence of God. Now, look at Romans 8. We're going to a very familiar passage. Romans 8, starting with verse 28. And we know... That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, amen. He who did not spare his son, but delivered him, delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? 
Christ is who died, yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things... We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, so verse 28, we just read Psalm 89, but verse 28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All right, when it says work together, that phrase work together, the, word, the, the Greek is actually, it's where we get the word synergy from. It means two things working together, which would be like this. When I have something bad happen in my life, I don't believe God causes bad things. We believe he's good, right? But we live in a fallen world. We understand this. But when something, I go through something bad in my life, that the Lord takes that something bad and he actually takes it and works with it and it makes it into something good for his glory. There's that synergy is what it means. It means actually that the Lord, this is, this, it'd, be, it'd be the equivalency of coworkers. Two things coming together to accomplish one thing. Yeah, what the devil meant for harm, he's going to turn for good, but he takes it, and again, he works it that way. It's really a beautiful picture. And then, again, Psalm 89, it says, I'll sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I'll make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I've said, loving kindness will build up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. And so I want to say today, that no matter what is going on, that the Lord is good. <laughs> His goodness is not based on the way that I feel, right? His goodness is not based on what I go through. His goodness is based on who he says he is and what he has done. And he's already done everything, right? And who he says he is, he is good, he is true, he is kind. And so that will not change. So his goodness is not up for debate. He literally, you could read this, that he literally perseveres through the good and the bad and still works them out for his glory, right? And again, it's, it's he does, I don't believe, I don't attribute atrocities to God. He takes them and he can use them for his good. All right. So God and his persevering presence, because... I'm, if he's faithful forever, that's where I'm getting this persevering. He continues to be, he continues to be, he continues to be. So in his persevering presence, he teaches me basically that everything that happens in life is fuel. And it's a framework to move forward. Whether it's something good, that's fuel to move forward. If it's something bad, it's like, all right, God, I don't understand why this situation happened, 
but the enemy meant it for harm, and you're going to use it for good, and so I'm going to use this as fuel to declare your goodness and continue to move forward in this journey called life. If something bad happens, well, I could get stuck right here and, and, and get upset and angry, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying we probably will get upset and angry. I'm just not going to set up shop right here and be like, look, this happened. I'm going to continue to move forward because this is going to be fuel for my worship of the Lord. It's like, God, I know this is going on, but you're still good. I'm going to declare your love and kindness forever. Your mercies are new every day. This happened, so be it. This, you're, you're going to get the glory when this all works out. And so, so again, it pushes us forward, and that's what we absolutely want to do. <laughs> Here is this God that's literally initiating everything. I actually think that we could say that God is aggressive and working all things out together for the good. And it actually is, it's very, it's the way it reads, he is aggressive in this. this. This isn't a passive God that says, oh, I wish that hadn't happened. He says, no, I'm going to work it out for the good, right? And, and this is a God who is for us. And so it's like Paul is taking this idea from Psalm 89 when he's writing in Romans 8, and he's saying, your faithfulness is going to go through all generations because of your goodness. All right. So let's break this down just a little bit. Four, four questions about God's persevering presence. Uh, if he's for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, for means if he's on my behalf. If God actually acts on my behalf, on your behalf, if he actually says that he does everything for our sake, if he actually says, you know what? I have their back and I'm on their side, then who could be against us? He's this God that's for us. Now think of this. He's the Lord of the heavenly hosts. What's the heavenly host? He's the Lord of the angels. He's the one in charge. He's the captain of the army. And he says this and they do that, right? I mean, it's just this amazing picture. He's the one that's faithful. If he says it, it's going to happen. If he's for us, then we can sing of his love forever, Amen. no matter what. Yes. And if he's for us, we can declare his faithfulness. And, and if he's faithful to me, then he's faithful to our generations. And actually, Psalm 89, I think it was verse 4, talked about the seed of David. So that was saying that like, let me phrase it like this. It's like Abraham was promised that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Now, is that a promise just for him or is that a promise for his descendants as well? Most of the time when the Lord gives promises in the Bible, they're generationally anyway. And so, so when, when I have a promise that you're going to be part of revival, is that for me or is that for my son or is that for my great-grandkids? as well. It, it's the, the Lord just thinks the exact same way. And so his faithfulness is to all the generations. All the generations. So if he <laughs> is for us, then he's going to be for those who come long after us as well. Hmm. It's just a promise. Will he not freely, will he not freely also give us all things? Now, he gave Jesus. So I, mean, I don't know how much more you could give beyond that, right? Yeah. 
He gave a son, but freely give, actually in this verse, it means to show favor, or to grant, or bestow something, but um, actually to bestow something as if they were receiving honor. So here's this generous, aggressive God that wants to work all things out for the good, who wants to lavish us with the blessings of himself. And not because we've done anything right, but because of everything that he has done to make us right. He wants to pour his blessings on us. And, uh, and I joke, like a, you know, I joke all the time, um, he really does want to bless his children. And I'm not talking about stuff, but I believe that he wants to bless us with more hope, more peace, more grace, more mercy, so that we look so different from those around us that those around us will want to know him because he'll give them the exact same thing. Amen. I mean, that, that's, that's really what the gospel is. It's, it's, it's so much more than getting people to pray a prayer. It's saying, you get the same God that I have, and he's going to give you the grace and the hope and the peace that we have, a peace that goes beyond all understanding, all these things that we talk about all the time. He's going to do this for us. Why? Because he loves us. Amen. And I, I think that's really good news. I think that's really good news that I don't have to walk through life being a pessimist. That's right. Right? I think that's really good news. Oh, well, I'm just a realist. No. No, you're not. That's, that's a flowery way of saying you're a pessimist. <laughs> Who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's crazy. Look, no one here likes to be accused of anything, whether you did it or not. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you did something wrong, you don't want to be accused of doing something wrong. I'm trying to put that down. You don't want to be accused of something wrong, but you also don't want to be falsely accused either, right? You just don't want to do it. We, we don't like it. We understand that. <laughs> we understand that. Now, let's do this. The enemy, Satan, the Bible tells us that he is the accuser of the brethren. That's uh, Revelations 12.5. Interesting word, by the way. The word brethren means those born of the same womb. How are we born of the same womb? <laughs> born again. <laughs> so, so the enemy is the accuser of those born from the same womb, which means that we've all given our life to Jesus, which means this, and you know what this is, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to be like. Let me go backtrack. Like, we, we, I think he accuses, he, he tells people, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you're not qualified to do this, what business you have doing this, or he'll say, well, you're better than so-and-so, you should be doing it. He says all these types of things to people, gets them off track, make them feel like they can't do what the Lord's asked them to do in the first place, right? And, and Or, I, I don't know if this is the way it's going to work, but I, I do have this picture of, of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, because it actually, the Bible actually says he's the accuser of the brethren from now until forever. So, so what it would be like if we stand before the Lord and, and the enemy's like, I don't know, God pulls out the, the book of life and says, Michael. And the enemy says, well, actually, I need to interrupt. He did this, he said this, he did this, he did this, he did this. God, God's like, well, that's not what I read right here. 
actually read on mine. I actually can't read it because it's been washed by the blood. So who can bring a charge against the Lord's elect? Elect, just don't get so caught up in that. It's his desire that all should inherit eternal life and that none shall perish. So... I believe that I believe that as we fulfill what the Lord is calling us to do and when we pray stuff like Matthew 6:10 on earth as it is in heaven the enemy will start accusing and he'll start to talk all of us out of what the Lord's called us to do and he'll do it in all kinds of different ways. And the question is whether we're going to be like, you know what? <laughs> Who's, who can actually bring a charge against me? It could be like when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. That wasn't a chirping. It was harsh to hear, but it was. So what would it look like for a company of people to begin to say, the only one that's going to bring any charge against me is the Lord, and actually he's wiped me clean, and I'm in right standing with him, which is righteousness, and I'm just going to give my life to him with everything that I have because he's good and his love endures forever, and I'm not going to listen to this stuff because I don't believe that's from the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Lord isn't into guilt, shame, and condemnation. He's into conviction, and conviction is always an invitation into more freedom, not more chains and guilt and shame. And so... Again, let's walk in that. All right. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trial, tribulation, or will tribulation, which is hard times, or distress, stressful times, or persecution, I promise none of you are being persecuted in here, or famine, I joke about this, I've read this before, I know we're not starving in here, <laughs> nakedness, we're all clothed, thank God. Which, by the way, I was thinking about the word nakedness as well. It, it means exposed. And sometimes, sometimes it does feel like we're being exposed. And, and sometimes, like exposed, sometimes we feel vulnerable. And sometimes our vulnerability makes us retreat rather than continue to lean into the Lord. And so, what would it look like if we said, whenever I feel vulnerable, that, that I'm not going to go run and hide from the Lord like Adam and Eve did and cover myself with fig leaves. I'm actually going to continue to walk with him in the cool of the day that he intended in the first place. Yeah. All right. Or peril or sword. All right. So verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. NIV says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Which would mean this. No matter what we're going through, he's not going to change his mind about the way he feels about you. 
Now, we can determine, we can change your mind about following him. You can. You can say, I give my life to you, and something happened. And because, again, we live in a fallen world, bad things happen, not because he said it to, but because we live in a fallen world, and we can choose to walk another direction. We can do that. It's not that I lose my salvation. It's that I willingly turn from it, okay? Don't get caught up in that stuff. But it's not going to change the way he feels. And so no matter what's going on, he doesn't change his mind. That's why he gives us litany of things, <laughs> no matter how high or how low or because of principalities, because of all the, it doesn't really matter. He's not going to change the way he feels. And if he's not going to change the way he feels, those things will not get between me and him. He will not allow it to happen. The only thing that will happen is if we willingly turn from it. And so, so how can I understand that nothing really can separate me from the love of Christ? Like, how can we begin to even wrap our hearts and minds around that? Like, like, like how do we even respond to that statement? That's wild. Like, like it's like, you know, we, we, like, think of it like this. I tell April, I love you. And she responds with, I love you too. Good job. She says, I love you too. <laughs> like, that's a response back and forth. Like, how do you respond to a God that says, it doesn't matter what happens, my love will not be separated from you. How do you reconcile that? Like, like seriously, it's like, thanks, you know? I mean, <laughs> like it seems so, it's, it doesn't seem adequate enough to be able to say that. What is the logical and most reasonable response? I, I think it's this. You follow them. say, here's my heart. It's yours. I think that's the only reasonable response. It, it's to not hold anything back. It's to, it, it is. The only logical response to the one that says this, in huh, uh, all these things, we are, you know, trial or tribulation, distress, persecution, famine or nakedness, peril or sword. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, which means that, yeah, we're going to go through those things, but guess what? We win, right? So in all those things, we're more than conquerors. So, so if that was just the end of the list, the only logical thing to do, right, or the only reasonable response is just to give our entire life to him. But then he takes it a step further. <laughs> He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he takes it a step further and says, it really doesn't matter what happens. I, it's not going to be able to separate from me. Not only am I a victor, but nothing's going to separate me from him. So again, the only logical, the only reasonable response is just say, I'm giving you my everything. I'm done holding back. I'm done sitting on the fence. By the way, the enemy owns the fence. I'm done sitting on the fence. I'm going to give you my everything because you're good and your love endures forever. What we read in Psalm 89, the only reasonable thing is to give him everything. <laughs> the only reasonable response is that. I've been like praying about this all week. I'm like, God, 
You're so good. I'll be honest, like I read Psalm 27, 13, I, I'm convinced, I believe, I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That, that, that was my pity party this week. God, this is what you said. I'm going to see your goodness in the land of the living. <laughs> Show me your goodness in the land of the living, right? I mean, that, that was where this came from. And it's like, Lord, search, remind him of all these places. What's the only response? It doesn't make a hill of beans what's going on. The only response is surrender. And not... I've been handcuffed before. I didn't exactly surrender when that happened, right? The only response is this. I willingly lay my life down for you because I don't know what else to do other than respond this way to you. You're so good. You're so kind. And I know that your loving kindness will endure through all the generations. And my hope and my prayer is that if I just go ahead and surrender right now, that maybe my great, 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 great grandkids will be that much closer to surrendering to you forever because I'm going to go ahead and make this decision right now. Maybe they won't do, go through the stuff that I went through or go, walk through the mess that I went through because they'll know my example or they'll know their dads or granddads great and so on and so forth. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is the only response that I can do because this response affects future generations. This is the message of the early church. There's all kinds of other stuff we talk about. There's all kinds of stuff I love in the Word. But the message was this. You are this way, but you could look at it this way. You were hopeless, but now you can be hope-filled. And what will actually bring transformation to this city will be a company of people that have did this to such a degree that it's weird. I mean, it'll be weird. It's like, what do you, what do you mean you... What do you mean you go to church? What do you mean you do this? You do that? You do that? It's like that's the only reasonable response that we can come up with. And it's not that we're reasoning our way to God, but you understand what I'm trying to say. I don't think you're reasoning your way to Him. What would it look like in our day-to-day -day jobs or our day-to-day -day life that we walk by someone? We talk about this all the time. But what would it look like to actually be filled with hope to such a degree that it looks different than the person who's next to us that's struggling to even get out of bed every day. It's like, it's like oh, nothing's going to separate me from the love of God today. Right? I'm going to have bad. Or it could be like, I've got to go. I've got, I wish I could just pull these covers over me all day and lay in this dark room. I don't think anything will bring revival to our city quicker as if we actually get this. 
that I will see the goodness of the Lord Amen. in the land of the living. Amen. I'd like to pray. So Jesus, I just thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy. And, um, and I would pray, I would pray that you help us to see your goodness in the land of the living. I, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. I would pray, Lord, that you